With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. Welcome back to Greenwash. You're with me, Just Preet, and my long-suffering co-host, Don Nicholson here. And in the theme of keeping Kiwis appraised of what's happening overseas and the uncanny fact that how similar the agendas are overseas to what is happening here, Don and I are very pleased to welcome back a guest we had on last April, the president of the American Policy Center, Tom DeWeese. Welcome back, Tom, and thank you so much for coming back on. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No, it is our pleasure. You have been, you've you founded American Policy Center, and you've been at the helm of affairs for 40 years. You have my unflinching respect for someone who can carry out a crusade for decades against Agenda 2030. You've been traveling the country, trying to get more people to see what's happening. Pretty much everything you've said, and I've followed you, Tom, on YouTube for at least the last 15 years. That's when I could find some of your earliest lectures. Everything you said has come true. You've also authored a number of books, including Sustainable, The War on Free Enterprise, Private Property, Individuals, Erase. Now, tell me I was wrong, and a special report on Agenda 21 and how to stop it. And you're on the road most of the time. How do you manage this? Well, I get behind a lot of <laughs> things that I need to be doing, but uh, it's just there's just so much uh, to do, so much going on. And and I'll tell you something interesting. My book, and now tell me I was wrong. That was a collection of articles I'd written over a 15 minute, a year period, uh, and it came out in 2011. And I took those older articles and I just kind of put an updated paragraph on them to say what happened when I put them out, whatever. And that now is what 13 years ago. And uh, it is absolutely, totally still relevant. It's a good history lesson and uh, a lot of where all of these things came from. And we are just about ready to reissue it because uh, it, I don't have to change a word in it. It's it's still right on top of, uh, of, we will, of everything. We will have to look for some Kiwi publishers here who might stock your books, Tom, because as I said, it's uncanny how much what you are seeing happening in the U.S. is happening here. And the last time when you'd come on, we were very lucky after that to have your vice president, Kathleen Marquardt, come on, on Greenwash as well. And that time we had spoken a lot about how all of this began. You know, we went into Club of Rome, we went into Agenda 2030, the United Nations and its genesis, the League of Nations. What, what I want uh, to sort of get through to the audience this time is, Let's leave the theory behind. How are we practically seeing this agenda, which, you know, folks, we are told is all voluntary and has got nothing to do with us. How do we see it at our doorsteps? What is the biggest thing that you see out there? Or we'll say, we spoke last April, Tom. What has happened? What's the biggest issues out there? The biggest issues that are being put in place. I One of the biggest things I'm running into here in the United States, and, I, and I'm sure it's true there too, uh, is the attack on farmers, the people who grow our food. And there's a massive attack that's taking place, uh, burying massive amounts of farmland, vital farmland under wind and solar panels and, uh, and, and wind towers. And 
uh, you know, the Chinese are moving and buying up a lot of, uh, of American land and farmland. And they, uh, they're moving on, uh, you know, we've already are being told that we're, we're, we can expect that we're going to have food shortages. And they, they, they attack cows as being the, uh, one of the major forces of, uh, you know, CO2. And they're they're in. Uh, I just spent a lot of time in uh, the state of Iowa and the state of South Dakota. Those are two of five states that are targeted to build a carbon capture pipeline to mm-hmm. take carbon out of the air and bury it in the ground to save the planet. Uh, apparently, the people behind this have never ever taken a science course. To learn that trees, plants, things that uh, you know that are gro- we need to grow to feed us need CO two. It's not a pollutant, but here they are working to bury it underground and get us down to that net zero and and uh, you know Nirvana. your carbon footprint, you know the whole thing. And uh, they they are absolutely uh, destroying the uh, ability to grow our food and. Uh, you know, there'll be a big surprise to them someday when the farmers can't can't supply what we need, you know. So I'm yeah. assuming this pipeline is going through a lot of farmland and farmers are just supposed to suck it up. They're not getting any compensation or anything. There is some compensation they're offering and so forth. But what they what you have, first of all, you've got a you've got private corporations that are putting in a private entity and to do it, they're taking private property. And what I ran into, particularly in Iowa, was uh, we have appointed boards, appointed utility boards. And uh, these corporations are pressuring these uh, utility boards that are appointed by politicians to give them the power of eminent domain, to just go in and take the land uh, if if the farmer won't accept their bribe. And uh, what I what really set me off as I traveled across the state were uh, we have county commissioners that in charge of you know that area and they were saying well, you know we really don't like this carbon capture pipeline but there's nothing we can do because the Iowa Utilities Board uh, you know they're in charge of all this. And I went this side of berserk <laughs> across the state and I said you know, you were elected by the people to represent them. Utility boards, appointed boards, are are created by politicians and elected officials to be the bureaucracy, basically, for programs they put in place. You are the boss. And for you to sit there and say, golly gee, there's nothing we can do, you are absolute cowards. And as I said this, somebody reported my, my talk the first one I gave, they made 350 CDs and they passed them out, including to all the county commissioners in the state. And then they rented a movie theater and showed it there. And uh, they heard me. And a lot of them started to change their attitude on it. And I said, you protect the private property of the people who are in the pathway of this thing. And you can uh, you can protect them. That's what you need to do. And they started to do that. There were a couple of different counties that passed legislation saying the pipeline can't come through here. And then we got into South Dakota. 
and one of the other states. And there was a farmer there named Jared Bosley who was opposed to the pipeline. He even had a big sign on his property, no pipeline coming through here. And uh, they came on his property while he was out in his fields working. His wife looks out the window and they're walking around. He had an office in his barn. He had other things around there. They're walking all over the property. And they uh, he tried to talk to them and they wouldn't talk to him. And they accused him of threatening them with bodily harm, which he never did do. They actually took him to court for it. But he got out of that. About uh, four weeks later, they arrive on his property with a massive machine. They also had armed guards, sheriff deputies, and they came on his property with this massive machine, and they were digging uh, an 85-foot hole down in the ground. They damaged his corn crop, his soybean crop, and they never said why they did this. The reason they were doing that is because they were working to intimidate him and other farmers who were standing up against them. The good news to all of this is it backfired on them. And the farmers got angry and finally stood up and they went to the state legislature and they demanded that the state legislature take action and protect their property and stop this, this activity. And it has literally brought the pipeline to a halt at the moment. I won't say we've won yet because they always come back with something else, but people acting, that taking action, demanding that their, their elected representatives represent them. And it worked there. And uh, so, you know, that's so, the good news. Yeah, well, that is the good news, apart from the stupidity of the concept around carbon capture and, and storage and pipelines and all that. <laughs> you would you would expect, wouldn't you, Tom, though, that um, a fair exchange around free exchange of property rights, a fair and free exchange of property rights requires full compensation and um, a willing, willing parties. Now, clearly, when we have infrastructure like a road or a um, power, what, power line or perhaps the telecommunications infrastructure down a utility corridor, um, that access is uh, given effectively in 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 the in our world anyway. In New Zealand, if they want to take property, they generally have to come through what's called the Public Works Act. But the issue would be, um, you get some willing part parties and others unwilling. How? If society does deem that they want a useful bit of infrastructure, not a useless bit of infrastructure, surely there is a right to um, buy the rights by the state of private property. How, I mean, we can't always be obstructive is what I'm getting to. And I'm worried about this, that there's always a looklet of these farmers just, and we're both farmers, by the way, we're just being obstructive. So I just want to flesh that out a bit because in Australia, especially right now, we're seeing a lot of tension about uh, high tension power wires, you know, pylons going over property um, because they want to expand their national grid. Um, so there's got to be some rational um, way through this. Surely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and what you're saying about the right of ways with the roads and that sort of thing, if if they were going to build a pipeline along that edge on, on the edge of the property, probably would be no problem. Uh, but they were bringing it within 60 feet of people's homes yes. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and many other things actually damaging 
uh, you know, the, the property they're living on, the property of their, where their crops are and so forth, and uh, just wandering willy-nilly through it all. And they didn't care where they took it. It was all there for their convenience. And uh, if they had stuck to just staying on those right-of-ways, they probably wouldn't have any problem. They were offering them compensation, but there was paperwork that uh, as we got into it was revealing some things uh, you know, really weren't good things for them. If they signed this, uh, one of the things is they, and they do this with, with conservation easements as well, is they, they basically say this is in perpetuity. It's going to stay there forever. There's nothing that the property owner can do about it. But the owners of, of that uh, contract could do whatever they wanted to do. They could sell it, they could buy it, they could move on, they could bring somebody else in. You never knew who was going to be the boss. And so this is one of the real fallacies of this. And they make all kind of promises. But when you get down to the into the nitty gritty of it, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 bad news. And uh, it was it was interesting as I gave the talk uh, across the state of Iowa. There was this young kid reporter who, you know, was pretending to be a reporter, basically, who was asking me all kinds of questions uh, about all this. And I got up to give the talk and I come back and he's still standing there. And he says, you know what you just had to say, you know, it sounded like hate speech. And I said, (laughs) it was hate speech. They hate it when I say it. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, not very far from where Don and I live, uh, the very southern tip of New Zealand, uh, Tom. As we speak, there is drilling going on. There's this area called Bluff for the same thing, carbon capture. They, they call it out here, they call it remineralization. So they say they found, you know, the appropriate rock. And once it goes in, it will again, there's this company called Vioradon. I don't know if you've heard of it. But what they say is the magnesium-rich rocks, when exposed to CO2, they form new rocks and essentially trap it. This is happening you know, less than half an hour away from dawn as we speak. So it is the same thing, listeners, regardless of where you are. It's an illness. It's an illness. It's a worldwide virus. Uh, Well, a Western virus, this stuff, um, Jaspreet. It's everywhere. Anyway. Well, there's there's a a big difference between uh, an oil pipeline and the carbon capture pipeline. An oil pipeline ruptures, uh, you've got an oil spill to clean up. They had a rupture of a carbon capture pipeline in the state of Mississippi, and it gave off this green cloud. And people were talking. First of all, their cars quit running. They, they, you know, cars need oxygen. This was a usurping oxygen coming out of this carbon capture pipeline. People to this day are still talking about fuzziness in their brains and so forth. They, they were literally shut down with this. It is dangerous to people's health. And just to put this over people's property and and pay no attention, uh, you know, that's different than a pipeline, than an oil pipeline. And uh, uh, so that was, you know, that was one of the weapons we used to get people to understand what the problem was. And I'm I'm going to refrain myself from going into the carbon thing. I know listeners have listened to me and Dawn enough about this. But one thing I can't resist adding at this point, because both of you gentlemen spoke about property rights here, is going back to, you know, the UN Habitat Conference. I found an article 1976 on the Vancouver Sun by by somebody who had attended the UN Habitat Conference then. And this person goes on to quote that says the documents that came out of that United Nations Conference nearly 50 years ago, they said public ownership or effective control of land. The public interest is the single most important means of achieving a more equitable distribution of development's benefits. 
It went on to say that in many countries, it may be essential to restructure the entire system of ownership rights. Pretty powerful stuff. And 134 countries adopted it without a whimper. And here we are. Before I was born, and here uh, we are talking about this stuff. Yeah, one of the main things that I have learned in the 40 years of fighting this, of course, the, the policy of putting all of this in place is sustainable development. And what I have learned is that if, if private property is protected, particularly at the local level, the state level, whatever, then they cannot impose most of these policies. Sustainable development is a destruction of private property, just as you're you're revealing there and what they said. And if we protect private property, then they, in a lot of these cases, they can impose these programs. And that's why I began, if I was working on a lot of different issues in the beginning and uh, just kind of settled on this. And as I began to, to see these environmental issues coming up, it was all new stuff. And I kept asking one question, what about the property rights of the people this is affecting? And that was what got me involved. And then I learned that it really is a destruction of it. You've got environmental groups saying, we don't believe in private property. And, uh, you know, as, I, as I've said very many times, the, uh, this whole thing with the environment uh, is a weapon. And it's done on purpose. Uh, you know, the their real goal is control, globalist control, global governance, and so forth. Uh, we're not allowed to say that because that's conspiracy theory. But uh, <laughs> you know, I'm quoting them is <laughs> what they want to do. But um, we've had uh, throughout history that. Uh, forgive me if I've said this before, but I, it's it's true. Throughout history, we've always had these forces who wanted to control the world. And what they would do is put together armies, and they would go in and invade, and they would break things, and they would kill people, and they'd subjugate them. These guys we're up against here now are diabolical. What they are uh, working towards here is to, they're using the tactic of fear to get us to voluntarily give up our liberties and help them subjugate us. The, the fear is the fear of environmental Armageddon. It doesn't matter how many rights you think you have if you don't have a planet to stand on. That's the weapon. And every time we prove that global warming doesn't exist, that the, the, you know, the Arctic isn't melting, that islands aren't drowning, that you know, on and on and on, every time we begin to prove that this stuff is bogus, they have to dig down in. They don't give up on it because how do you give up on a weapon like that? They, they just don't. come up with more fear. And, uh, and and of course, what are we? Disinformation experts, conspiracy theorists, you know, everything they can to discredit us. And I've said often uh, many times that all I have ever done is quote them. I'm not creative enough to make this stuff up. So if it's crazy, if it sounds weird, uh, you know, and lies, it's because they're telling them, not me. Mm -hmm. And we now have this, uh, the other wind that, you know, you've spoken about the carbon capture pipeline. Hopefully, we, you've been, we've been able to buy some time there. The natural asset companies. So the New York Stock Exchange has recently withdrawn a proposal to approve the creation of natural asset companies on Wall Street. What What is happening there? Could you expand on this, please? Well, well let me just say this before that, the, the, uh, with the... With the um... Great Reset, the World Economic Forum, and one of the things they're focusing on is, uh, you know, a Wall Street and not investing in companies that, uh, you know, aren't playing ball with all this, that they aren't aren't accepting all this. 
Well, now you got, uh, you know, what they did with the uh, NACs is going into Wall Street and and getting, uh, you know, setting up these uh, proposals or these ideas of investing in this property is locked away. We're working on here in in the States what they call 30 by 30, which is lock away 30% of all the land in this country for conservation easements uh by uh, by the tw- by 2030 they really mean 50 50 by you know 30 but um <laughs> they have figured out a way these corporations that and people talk about uh gas companies and uh others that provide electricity and so forth that are all joining into this and they're killing their own industry why are they doing that why would they do such a thing the mining industry and so forth because they're working on this NAC they make that land that they're locking away a an investment uh, opportunity for them to make money from their land being locked away. Uh, you know, the, the Biden administration uh, passed what they call the infrastructure bill. There was infrastructure is building highways and fixing yeah. railroads and you know, all this kind of stuff. There was no infrastructure in this thing. There's a little piece of it over here. But it was all these programs, the carbon capture pipelines. There was billions of dollars in there for that. The uh, the NAC, there was there's billions of dollars there. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with an organization called BlackRock, mm-hmm. which is the richest corporation in the world. They control trillions of dollars. And they are almost the full... Uh, investor in the uh, providing the money for the carbon capture pipelines, they uh, you know they they would stand to if they're buying up land all over the world and uh, imposing these policies. Well, take a look at it. They've got all that land. How much are they going to make from the investments of the NAC? This yeah. this is just how it operates. There is these corporations are not free enterprise. You talk about public-private partnerships. You can't have a partnership between private enterprise and government. And government's job is to protect the industries from being able to to be on a free market and to compete and and do what they do, uh, protect that ability to do that. It is not a partnership where they get to go in and help put in legislation that puts their competition out of business or gives them all kinds of government money to put in their pockets so they don't have to do anything. Do anything. But that's what this is all about. Yeah. Gosh, Jasper, how often have we talked about how competition is the problem, how the diminution of competition uh, by the big boys and big players is causing us all this grief? And how often have we talked about how the expropriation of property without uh, due compensation is a problem with. So the state just acquires property and um, uh, appropriates it to their their balance sheet. And now we have the monetization of nature. And of course, uh, I've re- reiterated to you recently, Jasper, that in New Zealand, we have a river that's been accorded the state of a natural person. person. A river. So we're, we're on the way to monetizing natural assets in New Zealand uh, through the back door, Tom, I think. Uh, it's an absolute scandal. And what would you call that? If you were actually labeling it with a um, a political or a, a concept like um, socialism or Marxism or communism, or is it just new way capitalism? What is it? Everything we're dealing with here is pure communism. That communism is one control at the top and one powerful control. There is no private property. There is no free enterprise. And uh, there is no individual liberty to decide how you want to live your life. 
And uh, it comes in various stages, but uh, that's what is really behind all of this. And uh, we are we are looking as they're taking they want to take over our monetary system and and do away with with cash and uh, have everything uh, you know uh, uh, digital and so forth. That means that every single penny we spend, they can monitor it. They can take away your bank accounts. They can. Uh, uh, control anything that you're that you're doing. Uh, people who donate to organizations like ours, uh oh, you know that kind of thing. We now we know who you are, and that is total surveillance. And uh, I mean, I, I think about Lenin and Stalin and Mao and people like that. If they had had the kind of surveillance system we have today, what in Hitler, what they would have done with it. And uh, now we're seeing because the same the same mentality there. Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum is is just uh, I mean he's he's like a like out of a James Bond film. He's a perfect James Bond villain, and uh, you know and how he's operating. And uh, I, I I've pointed out several times that he wrote this book called COVID nineteen and the Great Reset. And he said that that book was a report on what they had learned through the COVID uh, pandemic lockdowns of the weakness of capitalism. That's what he says. Now, here's the amazing thing about that. The lockdown started in like March of that year. What was it? 2020. 2020. And, uh, And this book came out in August of 2020. That's five months now, in that five months period, I, I've written three books, and I know that first of all, you got to come up with a concept. Then you've got to actually write it. You got to study it, invest, you know, you know, go uh, research it, then write it. Then you've got to find a publishing company. You've got to find editors, printers, and get it out on the thing. This genius did this in five months, and in that period of time, he had time to find out what weaknesses we had in capitalism under the pandemic. Or it was written before the pandemic, pandemic. and he is a liar. <laughs> it's one I, or the other. I know which one I would uh, wager my money on, Tom. But uh, listeners, you're listening to Tom Dewey, president of the American Policy Center, who's on Greenwash for the second time. And we were talking about uh, natural asset companies or NACs. And, you know, you might like to rethink the incentives you're getting for creation of that uh, wetland or the grasslands that you're creating. Because, believe it or not, we have something called as biodiversity credits here. And things might just turn out to be differently than what you think they are. We spoke about natural asset companies and carbon capture pipelines and all the various means that are being employed by the left to get rid of your property rights. There's something else I have always maintained, uh, Tom, as is a part of the reset, and that's immigration. I don't know if for the U.S. I should call it an immigration uh, or should, should I call it an invasion? Because there seems to be nothing, uh, you know, in the least civil or well-organized about it. This, what, what are your thoughts on what's happening at the, you know, the U.S. border there? Almost definitely is an invasion. I mean, they're they're just pouring across there without any attempt. I mean, we've got the government giving them money, uh, all mm-hmm. kinds of incentives. Uh, I saw yesterday that there's some sort of a website they look into. They know exactly where to go and how to how to move forward and so forth. Uh, you know, and of course, the cartels are making a fortune off of it. They're loving it, and uh, it it definitely is this. And uh, it's what to go back to to the beginning on it. The when you're looking at, uh, if you accept the idea that 
a whole lot of this is about the creation of a global governance, then you have to change the culture. And here in the United States, we're one of the few countries that were set up in our constitution that said that you have your rights you were born with, and it's government's job to protect those rights. Many, many other countries in the world, the government tells you what your rights are. And if you are these people working to put this global governance in place, you're looking at the United States, particularly as a problem, that Mm. uh, we've got to change that culture. We've got to get rid of this private property thing. We've got to get rid of free enterprise. And we've got to change the people, the attitudes, the values, and the beliefs. And, of course, one of the first things they they started to do, creating the uh, National Department of of, uh, Education, and changing the entire curriculum. They're literally in our schools are not teaching academics. It's all about behavior modification to create what I call the perfect global village idiot is what they're really bringing out of that. And uh, so they don't even know to ask the questions about things. They don't know history, whatever. Now you bring in this total invasion of millions of people from other countries that know absolutely nothing about our culture here, then you get that culture destroyed. Free enterprise is gone. Private property is gone. They all accept it right off the bat. And um, as as we were kind of discussing during the break, the um, this thing about the thousands and thousands of Chinese that are coming in here. China is a communist country. It is... Yeah brutal in controlling people there are prisoners they don't just walk away and say well i'm going to leave china i don't like it here they can't do that in 99 percent of the cases and so where are these thousands of people coming from china across our border and you know we are very concerned here now about uh you know, we've got people from all kinds of countries that are enemies of the United States and the ideals of the United States. And are they setting up camps here? Are they putting together uh, a plan to really rise up and cause all kinds of havoc uh, inside the country? And will the country crash from that? We And now we have um, some of these woke politicians that are setting up the election process to where you don't have to be an American citizen. You just come in and vote. And I knew uh, back when Obama was running for his second term, uh, I had some people tell me they witnessed in in their uh, city, it happened to be Columbus, Ohio, as a matter of fact, which is my home state, and they saw three buses pull up in front of a, a voting area. And people All these people who did not speak English went into the polling place, and these leaders went in with them and just pointed on the ballot where to vote. Totally illegal. But they were people witnessed this. They saw them doing it. And this sort of thing is happening. And when you have lost your ability to even pick your leaders, uh, then you know your country is gone. And when you're talking, we have to keep this in mind: global governance. And the power of total control. Who is it that's been practicing that and has been advocating it for centuries? The communists. And that, yep. and, and of course, they can go back to other dictators before that, kings and queens and whatever. But um, this is this is the, the role. And you look back at when the Soviet Union fell and uh, Gorbachev was in charge and he let it all walk, you know, just walk away from the Soviet Union. 
And he ends up coming to the United States and advocating the same policies. Policies, yeah. So anyway, that's a long way of saying. The USAID papers reveal that there are people who are, you know, people in transit who are beneficiaries of um, hundreds of millions of dollars in USAID and, uh, you know, prepaid cards, debit cards. They even get cell phones at places. And uh, that sort of money is being spread over something like 625,000 migrants just in the last year got this much. And, you know, leave the money side apart, Tom. For me, as a migrant here myself, like I was speaking to Dawn about this. What I know of New Zealand is what, when I came 15 years ago, is what is, that's all I have to compare it to. To someone who was born here, who's lived here for 50, 60, 70 years. You're not 70 yet, Tom. Don't worry. But <laughs> but their but their recollections of the kind of life, the quality of life, the freedom they had over conservation land, being able to, you know, travel and speak and the sort of politicians they had, they have a different benchmark. And that's where I think immigrants are very handy. Anyone who I see, and I can just speak about the Indian diaspora, off and on when I meet them, you know, when I head to town from the farm, they will not have a recollection of that because they all they know is the New Zealand that was there today when they came. And how will you strive for something better or try to fight for something when, you know, you never had it anyway? You A migrant comes and unlike you, you know, we have a big moat of water surrounding us. So we have to pretend to have legal migration, even though New Zealand's population has gone up from 4 million to almost 5.2 million in just over two decades. That's a 25% increase. That's not Big small increase, by any means. Yeah. But I, I do think that that sense of history, that sense of affiliation, that is, that's missing, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, in, in the United States, we were very, very proud of our heritage and of our freedom. Mm-hmm. And people were coming from around the world to be part of that. You know, in, in back in the early 1900s, as people were coming from Italy and, and other European countries and so forth, they're coming into New York City. On the on the ship, on the way there, they were practicing English to, mm-hmm. to be able to, to become Americans. That's what they wanted to be, an American. And, uh, you know, that is not the case now. They, I mean, they come in here carrying the flags of the country they're leaving that's supposedly, you know, uh, oppressing them. And they uh, they pay no attention to any of the uh, ideals, any of the, uh, you know, the, the system that we have. And we are just moving to accommodate that. Instead, and I, I, I mean, I'm hearing seriously now. They're talking about we've got all these overcrowded places. We got all these tent cities and the uh, up and down the streets in the big cities and so forth. But and they've taken over hotels. And uh, you know, I've heard seriously now. They're talking about if you have a, a large home with extra rooms in it, you may be forced to take illegal immigrants into your home to house them. There goes private property, free enterprise, individual liberty, gone. And uh, that's a that's a totalitarian government that is controlling every action in, in your life. And that, they're talking about this in a serious way. Yeah, but they actually are here too in a strange way, uh, perhaps, Tom, where they're talking in at tourist towns where there is vacant homes that um yeah perhaps people as a, have as a holiday home or a, or a spare um yeah a holiday home generally it's vacant they're talking about maybe encouraging uh, is a nice word to say forcing people to open their door to 
to accommodate these people. That has been mentioned. Now, that is, uh, for in the New Zealand sense, that is the slipperiest slope uh, of all, in my opinion, when you get this coercive factor coming from the governors of the country. I have to say, Tom, um, just slightly deferring from that story for a minute, there's a heading in your website. A recent output uh, from you was called Setting the Agenda for Freedom's Comeback. And I would implore our listeners to go to the American Policy Center's uh, setting uh, page, website, sorry, and read the first, read that whole article. But the first paragraph of it is so salutary to me. It opens up by saying, for more than 100 years, the free market economy of the United States has been used to prop up the failures of socialism throughout the world. Overtaxed Americans have been forced to pay for it through foreign schemes and leftist pretend charity cartels. Armed with plundered American capital, cap global looters have had free reign to pillage some of the naturally richest nations in the world, now destroyed by socialism. And it goes on. I thought that was so powerful and something that we all need to read and take notice of. So yes, listeners, please go to the American Policy Center and read that article. Um, yeah. Um, so the other thing that uh, that about that article is... Uh, I'm talking about what's happening around the world, yes. and you know we, we we worry so much. People think there's nothing we can do; we can't stop them. And I have always taken the the positive approach. I mean, first of all, I will not submit to the ideals of Marx and Lenin and Stalin and Hitler and these guys, uh, because to do that says they were smarter than Washington, Jefferson, Adams, you know, uh, people who created uh, what we had. And that is just not so. And uh, so the, there are good things happening around the world. One of the problems we have is we don't report on it enough. There are people standing up. And, and one of the things I talked about in the article was in the nation of Argentina. The uh, the latest election that they had, they elected uh, Javier uh, Milley there, who's a limited government free enterprise candidate, and he was elected by a large margin. Over 55% uh, of the people voted for him. This is a country that had been oppressed by Castro and Chavez and you know all these guys, and um, the people figured it out. They stood up. And they elected this guy. And, and what I love about what he said, he said uh, one of the first things he's going to do is start to they have uh, 19 agencies in the national government and he's going to eliminate 11 of them. And if he, if he gets his way and that includes the Ministry of Environment and Sustainable Development, the Ministry of Women, Gender uh, and diversity, and the Ministry of Education, which he says is the Ministry of Indoctrination, which is what I've been saying for 40 years. And uh, then we also got, at the same time, you had uh, in the Netherlands, the uh, uh, the election there of the um, the new prime minister, who they are, are calling the Dutch Donald Trump. And I mean, this is major happening around the world. Meanwhile, in England, Germany, uh, uh, other uh, uh, countries in that area, they were the first ones, uh, France, they were the first ones to really accept all of this environmental garbage and try to put it all in place. They are starving to death energy-wise and many other ways. 
And even the European Union is now beginning to stand up against these things. And, uh, and they're saying that the, uh, the whole net zero thing there is dead in those countries. And so this is what happens. People are rising up. We have got to take a, uh, a you know, take a deep breath and some energy from that. I, I, I talk to people all the time who look down at their feet and defeat, and they're, they're saying, we, there's nothing we can do. They, uh, they're too big. They're too strong. The, the people, the, the, the forces that are putting all this stuff in place are terrified of us. That's why they are moving so fast to try to discredit us, tell everybody we're just nutcases and all that, because they are terrified that we're going to succeed, and we're beginning to. And it's because people are beginning to experience the policies that we've been warning about all this time. And I see many, many more people standing up saying, what can I do? What can I do? And that's why I travel the country and working with people to show them what they can do. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, uh, Tom. And uh, it's it's so important that people understand that the end game that we're uh, of, of the concepts that are being thrown at us will not be pleasant. Uh, and yet they've been comfortably numb. I can't understand uh, 70 years plus since uh, the end of the Second World War and a few wars in between that were quite serious, don't take I'm not discounting them, but how perhaps my generation of, of my age group have, have become numb and sort of almost immune to worrying about this. Uh, they don't see, and we get all the blame, of course. My generation's getting all the blame for 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 not doing stuff for the woke side of life. I mean, I think we did okay, but I think we also went without for many years, and now we've made good, and all of a sudden it's not good enough. But how do we keep people to, as Jaspreet knows, my saying is when you're around your local council, when you're around the halls of people that us, you've elected, to uh, to hold the line, or to to at least hopefully uh, listen to you. How do you get those volunteers to stay on message in volume over time? Because what I note is a lot of erratic behaviour. It doesn't take much for someone to spray themselves too wide, and all of a sudden they've lost the thrust. How do you do it? Yeah. Well, first of all, understand this: in your local. Uh, elected representatives, the ones that are right there in your community and so forth. And those are many times your neighbors and friends and so forth. You get them in office and uh, you see them change. And you think, why? Why is it? They're not talking to me. What, what is wrong here? We, there are these non-governmental organizations, these NGOs. There are literally about 20,000 of them in the world. Every single policy we're talking about here, all of this uh, environmental policy, all the global policies, and so the attacks on the money. They, every one of those issues has at least one NGO that's an expert on that issue. They know exactly how to present it. They know how to get uh, federal or you know government money to help pay for it. They probably help write those plans in the first place. They are surrounding your elected officials 24 hours a day. They pressure them. They promise them. They 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 threaten them, you know, whatever uh, whatever needs to be done. Meanwhile, we aren't there. Those of us who try to live a regular life, we have a family to raise. We've got a job to do. We want to just enjoy our life. And local government is such a bore, and so we don't want to get involved in that. And 
So if one of us happens to show up and try to say something uh, about these policies, what do you get from those elected officials? Their eyes have glazed over, their arms are folded, and they get a scowl on their face, and they they give you a tiny little bit of the time to speak, and then the gavel comes down. And I, I've warned people that uh, if you're doing this and the, the place you're standing has a trap door under it, you're gone. You know, down you go. And it's because the NGOs are standing there going, the guy's nuts, pay no attention to him. They have got to discredit us in every case. And the other thing that you will hear them say is, well, everybody's doing it this way. One of the things that happens here in the U.S. when we elect uh, new city councilmen, county commissioners, state legislators, the first thing we do, our new mayor, we send them out to these national organizations, the National Conference of Mayors, the National League of Cities, you know, the, these these organizations, these are private organizations. They are not government organizations. And from the podium, they are hearing these same NGOs. They're given sample legislation. Here's the latest. Everybody's doing it across the country. You can do this, too. And they come home. And one of us starts there and tries to attack those programs. Well, we're just a nutcase. And uh, radicals are here. They don't understand. We're, we're trying to help the people. This is what we're up against. So what we have to do in training people to fight back, to stand up to this, we've got an awful lot of people now who are brand new who, who want to do something, but don't know how they never did it before. And this is what I'm trying to do is train people. It's what I call building a freedom pod in your community. Focus only on your community. Don't worry about next door. Focus on your local community and your government there. And, and first of all, do the research. Start to look at the programs that are being in, in put in place. I, I don't know whether it's true in New Zealand or not, but it's definitely true in the U.S. Every city has its own website. They have all kinds of records there, and you can begin to look at them. And you look at the uh, these files. Find out what kind of grants have been taken, what kind of programs are put in place. Begin to figure out who the NGOs are who work there, who are working in that community. The other thing, get a few volunteers who we call the watchers. They volunteer to go to every public meeting and just listen. You'll be amazed what you hear uh, as, as they're talking among themselves there, and you'll figure out who the lead NGO is. Every council has at least one guy who is the, the force pushing all this in place. Look at his stuff pockets. You can figure out who he is from there. But <laughs> the uh, you know you begin to figure it out. Then you get some really good people who are good speakers. They're the ones that go in and, and address them based on what the researchers found, based on what the watchers found. But don't go in there and scream and yell at them that you're implementing the UN Agenda 21. You're implementing the Great, uh, the, uh, great Reset, Reset you know, all that. Don't do that. Look at the policies. And, and why are you opposed to the policy in the first place? Is it affecting your property, your neighborhood? Is it affecting local businesses? What is the case? Your children in school? And go in with a very reasoned, calm argument to talk about that and and and, and try to be from that, uh, that way. Then the other thing you need to do is you've got to get this information out to the people. Uh, in our country, you can't trust the news media, but you can take flyers door to door. You can uh, sometimes you can put them in stores or whatever with the background information. And when you see from these plans that a certain area of, of the city, for example, is going to be affected, 
maybe it's a lower income part of the city. They're going to tear it all down and rebuild it. So, well, go there and talk to the people. Do you know what's about to happen here? And begin to talk to people individually. You don't need everybody. You need a good core of, of people. You go in there and uh, then you start to show up. If you can start having uh, 100 people show up at a council meeting, you're beginning to change things. We've got to change the debate. We have been reduced to defending freedom. What do we mean by it? How do we explain to somebody what we mean when they are on the aggressive side telling everybody this is all to help the people? And how do we defend it? I am working right now with Trevor Loudon and Alex Newman. And uh, Councilman Marquardt and I, we are working to create our own version of a freedom Agenda 21 that will describe what we mean. What is our vision of freedom? How will it help you? This become a weapon, a, a, a tool that people can start demanding pieces and parts of this be put in your local legislation, that sort of thing. So that's, in a nutshell, what we're what we're really working to to do. But we've got to be there, and we've got to change the debate. And uh, you know, the, the, there is no position in town that's too small. Every one of the, and no matter how small it is, it affects policy. Get our people on that, and uh, and start stop being polite and start naming the names. If you've got local officials that are pushing these things, uh, begin to name them. Tell them what the, this this guy is against is 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 for this. This is where it's going to go, and you know, really begin to make them squirm, make them feel some pain for what they're doing, and we begin to turn it around. That's that's my strategy. Well, that's that's fantastic, and I and you mentioned Trevor Loden all through that. So at one point through that, I don't want to dismiss what you've just said because that was pretty powerful. Um, but obviously, he's well known to RCR Reality Check Radio, well, I and that. and interestingly, um, he may have told you that uh, one of our coal new coalition partners, the ACT Party, uh, which I think is in my politics are probably similar on, on in in this country. Um, they have said under their agreements with the other two parties, they want to reform what's called the Resource Management Act to recognise private property rights. Now, that is a massive turnaround. It's been what some of us have been fighting for for 25 years. So if any little glimmer of hope is, it's the equivalent of your EPA, I, I dare say, um, how that's operated. Um, we've got a glimmer of hope that we are starting to at least put one little uh, finger in the dike of... Uh, of the removing of property rights uh, as yeah. it's been going. Here, here's what's base. important about that. A little victory, a tiny little victory is a victory. And we have got to start celebrating even the tiny victories. I have had many, many people tell me, well, we had 100 people show up at a city council meeting. And I said, what happened? Nothing. They didn't, list, they didn't pay any attention to us. Well, what did you do the next day? Well, nothing. It didn't work. If you had a hundred people there, that's a victory in itself. So. Get their names, get their addresses, make sure you can get them there again. I, I'll tell you this real quick. I have an organization in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, they're called the Caddo Alliance for Freedom. Five guys started this. They they started to notice that the Shreveport City Council was starting to out overreach their authority into their township where they didn't have authority. And they were going to start to implement these plans. And these guys were not political. 
they went to a city councilman and they tried to explain their position. And the councilman basically patted them on the head and said, well, you're nice boys, but you're not going to have any impact on this. This is just the way it's done. And the guy who was the leader of the group, in his own mind, that changed everything. And he got determined. They started having over 100 people show up every week, sometimes 200. They present their presentations just right. Uh, they've gotten several people elected to to other offices. And the, the, the greatest thing that he told me was one day after they were really starting to get things happening, that same city councilman came up and said, what can I do for you, fellas? That's what victory looks like. Okay. And, you know, so uh, don't, uh, you, you can't change everything in one day. You can't change the entire thing. Tiny little steps. This is why I say, look, in your community, if, if, you're, if you're starting to make some changes in your community, the community next door is going to say, how'd you do that? And it starts to grow and it grows up. If you try to go to the national government and try to force it from there, you're going to have very little impact. But you start to build it from the bottom, you're building the roots, and it can grow and, and be effective. So that's that's what I mean by a freedom pot. Excellent, Tom. Thank you so much. And yeah, I, I completely agree with that. No position is so too small. We've often encouraged at Reality Check Radio for our listeners to get involved in their hood. You know, forget the wider uh, community or the stakeholder that they tell you to look at. Look at your own geographical neighborhood and see if there's a Department of Conservation vacancy, if there's something in an NGO. Everything is right now is being outsourced. And this this uh, last week, I read an article about how, you know, a local one of our local councils here, uh, Tom, is doing uh, a consultation on speed limits. I believe it was Ashburton District Council uh, on speed limits. And there's a small byline in the article. It said the city council, the district council has partnered with Safer Mid Canterbury for the survey. And I looked up Safer Mid Canterbury. And that's an NGO that's been operating for 25 years. More than half of their board is ex-councillors, ex-council staff. And there you have it. You know exactly who's pushing the agenda. So that's I think that's been a great chat and very motivating for our listeners. Because, yep. you know, just like Tom, I refuse to go along with this. I just completely, flatly, I'm, you know, I have... Uh, Certain pig-headed streaks that my husband knows will come to the fore when I'm pushed yeah. too far. <laughs> yes, you yeah. are. You are exhibit number one, Jasper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't fantastic. compromise with tyranny. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fantastic, Tom. It was great to have Margaret on last year as well. So we we would love to have you both back again because this story is not going away, and it is constant reinforcement that um, of the story that that will help everybody. So thank you so much for coming Any, back anytime, on. Anytime. Anytime. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. So appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Right now, free speech is under heavy attack in New Zealand and overseas, with governments constantly devising new ways to enforce censorship. To make sure you never miss the critical news and breaking stories you rely on, join the RCR mailing list today. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.